Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bronwyn. Tell me, the world is looking at the United States, at the extraordinary pictures coming out uh, night after night. What should the world make of it? Well, I think the world should be really quite alarmed uh, because I think that um, in some ways, uh, three years of President Trump was all leading to this moment. A lot of people uh, predicted when Trump was elected uh, that we might get through this presidency without a major calamity, uh, provided there wasn't a crisis. Uh, and now you've got uh, multiple simultaneous crises. First was obviously the pandemic, uh, and President Trump uh, handled that by all accounts very badly. And now you've got this sort of surge of anger around the country at police brutality, which in some ways Trump is perhaps uh, the the least fit possible leader to deal with. Uh, So I think you've got this congruence of of events that are deeply unsettling. And I think that for people around the world, it's a a moment of genuine danger and a moment of genuine risk. uh, And one hopes that the U.S. gets through it. Um, But I don't think we can take it for granted that our institutions or our democracy will emerge from this without some lasting damage. Well, I want to come on to those points, but uh, let me just ask you this. Um, Police brutality, uh, killing of a black man, riots after that. Is that something new? Does this time feel different? Or is it something very, very old? People have been queuing up to say, look, this is, this is hardly the first. This goes back to you know, the creation of America. It's not new at all, of course. Um, this is a decades and even generations. It's, this has been a problem. Um, I think what you may have had in this case is a confluence of a, a very deeply rooted problem um, that has exploded into violence on many, many previous occasions, whether it's Baltimore or Los Angeles, and then I think you've got the added stress of a country that has been in a coronavirus lockdown for two to three months uh, with an economy that, as here and everywhere else, has sort of collapsed. So I think you've got some pent-up frustration and anxiety on top of which you have this perennial issue of police brutality, particularly against African-Americans. Um, and then I think you know, on top of all of that, you have a president who rather than calling for calm and and seeking unity and healing, uh, chooses to um, divide, to to weaponize um, the feelings on both sides. uh, And in the process actually makes a bad situation uh, infinitely worse. And we've had, of course, Jim Mattis, his former defense secretary, saying exactly that, uh, that, that he is dividing people. He tries to divide us. But one of the things that people looking from other countries in wonder is, in a sense, who is running America at the moment? You have the president attacking mayors and governors and telling them that they're weak and they're not dominating the situation. You have them telling him to just stop talking, uh, that, he's, that he's making things worse. A lot of Democratic mayors lined up uh, to criticize him. You have uh, former President Obama calling on the mayors uh, directly uh, to, to try and help resolve this. Uh, and then you have Twitter uh, saying uh, to the president, no, you don't run your own tweets. We're, we're, we're going to uh, put our, our alerts and corrections on those if we feel justified. Um, in a sense, it, 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 the United States can easily be misinterpreted by other countries, which have, a, say, a much more centralized uh, way of running themselves. But is there a sense in which the government of, of the US is coming apart at the moment? 
Well, I think it's worth pointing out that, um, as you say, the U.S. is a federal system and governors and, and local officials have a great deal of authority. And that became very clear uh, during the pandemic when you saw governors in California and New York acting aggressively and often at odds with the message coming from the White House. Um, and likewise, in the response to this unrest, you're seeing uh, governors and mayors often finding themselves in conflict with the president. At the same time, the president still plays an absolutely vital role in, in setting the tone for the country. Uh, he's still the commander in chief. He still has the power as he did in the last few days to order military police and other troops into the streets of the American Capitol. So make no mistake, uh, this is still a very, very powerful position, and he has shown in the last few days how he can exercise that power. I think, though, what is true is that through the um, repeated inflammatory statements and the divisive rhetoric of President Trump, you're now beginning to see very influential voices in the country say we can no longer rely on the president to, to supply moral leadership. And we have to get that moral leadership from somewhere else. That was an important part of Jim Mattis's statement last night. And, and you're seeing former presidents speak out in ways that they historically would have been very reluctant to do, whether it was Barack Obama yesterday, a statement issued by uh, George W. Bush in the past couple of days. So you are beginning to see other voices uh, saying that they we, we need to find other places to look for more leadership. So it's this strange dichotomy between a president who still exercises a great deal of executive authority, but seems day by day to be relinquishing some of the moral authority that has always been at the heart of the American presidency. Which in a, may, in a way may be a reassurance to people that other voices will come in. On the other hand, as you said, he still has enormous um, ability to, to act, uh, enormous power still attached to the office. And I uh, hope that famous checks and balances and so on would, would circumscribe uh, you know, uh, unorthodox characters getting into the White House. Well, that, that hasn't quite um, proved to be the case, has it? it? It hasn't. I mean, I think... You know, what, what you've seen over the course of this presidency is his effort to systematically degrade institutions that could be a check on his power. Uh, you know, the intelligence community, the courts, the Justice Department. Uh, and, and, and in this past week, I would say the military. I mean, one of the very interesting dramas that's playing out in the aftermath of the violent clearing of Lafayette Square is you're seeing this rather serious split between the military and the president, driven by a belief on the part of many former generals, whether Mattis or, or, or Mike Mullen or some of the others who have spoken out, over the belief that he has, has misused and exploited the military over the past few days and improperly inserted the military into a, do, a domestic law enforcement issue. And, uh, you know, the defense secretary who was part of this rather shameful photo op that occurred uh, two days ago when President Trump walked across Lafayette Square to St. John's Episcopal Church, he is now dividing, uh, setting himself apart from the president, saying he opposed the president's effort to, to invoke the Insurrection Act 
and uh, you know he has misgivings about other things that have have unfolded in the last two days. So you know the military is the latest in a long line of American institutions that have been through put through this horrendous stress test by President Trump. Some of the institutions have emerged looking quite resilient. I would argue the courts have actually proven themselves to be quite resilient. Uh, the intelligence community, perhaps a little less so. The Department of Justice, much less so. Um, we'll see in the next few days and weeks how the military emerges from this experience. Will they draw back? Will they will they resume their historic role? Will there be this, you know, return to what has been a deeply held tradition of the military not getting involved in domestic politics, or will Trump continue to push? the serving generals into that very awkward position. So I think that's one of the things that we should all keep a close eye on as this plays out. If President Trump loses the election in November, does all this just uh, blow away with the wind? Um, the Trump presidency consigned to history and everything reverts to the way it was, including America's standing in the world, the strain on this, these institutions that you've been talking about? I wish I could say that were the case. I'm I'm somewhat skeptical um, because the powers that you know Trump unleashed and has harnessed in the past three years uh, will not just go away. There will have to be a very serious effort to deal with police brutality, for example, a, a problem that predated Trump and will go on long after him. There will have to be a way to deal with the the issues of economic. Um, inequality that that contributed to some of the strains around coronavirus and around uh, law enforcement. Whether the U.S. simply returns to its international role after Trump is also, I think, a very much a contested issue. Um, I think a lot of Americans, and not just Trump supporters, were weary of the role the U.S. played as the leader of the liberal international order. Um, I think trade, for example, the debate on free trade, which was once a cardinal principle of the Republican Party, has really been changed probably in a lasting way. Uh, and so I think that it's probably uh, not the case that Trump's departure alone fixes all these things. A Republican senator, Tom Cotton, has gotten a lot of attention in the past 24 hours for an op-ed that was published by my newspaper in which he advocated sending the troops into American cities to put down these riots. Tom Cotton's likely to run for president in 2024, and he uh, you know, espouses some positions that Donald Trump would be very comfortable with. So I don't think these debates are by any means settled. I will say that removing this inflammatory, polarizing, divisive figure you know, will, in the short run, really help. The tone in the United States, I think, maybe uh, will take the rhetoric down a great deal. Um, so I do think, you know, just in terms of civil discourse, it will be a huge improvement if he loses. The underlying issues will remain. This is the longest I've got into a recent conversation about the United States without the word China coming up uh, because of the questions I've, I've been asking you. But um, I wondered whether you felt that all this uh, turmoil in the U.S. was necessarily to China's gain, and that we are, as you know, as even friends of the United States outside the country say, oh, we're looking at what seems to be um, an unstoppable period of American decline. 
Well, I, I think it is to China's gain, and I think China has used this uh, turmoil very shrewdly to its advantage. I mean, it's not an accident that the Chinese are uh, pressing a new security law in Hong Kong, are making very antagonistic noises about Taiwan, uh, talk of imposing a no-fly zone over the South China Sea. I mean, they've used this moment of American turmoil uh, to, to really try to press their advantage geopolitically. They've also used it, frankly, in a way to um, mask some of their own uh, domestic problems that should otherwise be exposing them to international ridicule. I thought it was very telling the other day when um, I think it was in response to American criticism over their Hong Kong policy uh, that they simply, the foreign ministry simply responded with, um, I can't breathe, which of course were the the final words that George Floyd uttered as he was being uh, killed on the street in Minneapolis. So this type of turmoil gives the Chinese a perfect opportunity to, in a sense, draw moral equivalence between themselves and the United States, you know, deprive the U.S. of, of its moral standing in the world and use that turmoil as a way to increase its own power um, and its own hegemony in, in its region. So, yes, they've made maximum gains during this period. Now, obviously, there can be for, I mean, for any observer, and I'd include in that the, the Chinese leadership, uh, uh, the possible misinterpretation of, um, willful misinterpretation of, of seeing, you know, America in turmoil, and the Chinese might well say, as Chinese state commentators do, well, look, we don't have riots on our streets, apart from in Hong Kong. Uh, and Americans might retort, that's precisely the point, that we can, that we, we allow that freedom. Uh, and I, thinking back to other, uh, the long history of people predicting American decline, thinking particularly one passage in the, in the 1990s where no, 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 lots of commentators are absolutely sure it was happening. And, and, and then, uh, you know, America gave birth to the internet in, in a way and, and changed the world for everyone for, forever. Um, so it's a long kind of over, over prophecy, if you like. Um, but I, I, I wondered whether you felt that, um, if you like, America's ability to bounce back from that, this, this kind of setback was still there. Well, I guess I hope as a, an American citizen and a patriot that it, it, it is. And it is also true, if you look back, that we, we've had periods of social upheaval that were uh, greater than what we're undergoing now. I would argue that the 1960s, um, when you had the civil rights battles and the Vietnam War happening simultaneously, if you think about what happened in 1968 with the assassination of Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy within months of each other, um, we have come back from periods of greater division. Um, I, my worry about Donald Trump and why I've always believed that it was sort of so important that he'd be a one-term president is that I think many of the institutions that we can use to um, build our return on, our rebound on, um, you know, will be resilient and will bounce back. The courts, uh, the press, um, you know, the civil-military relationship. But I don't know whether two terms of a continued bombardment is something that these institutions can survive. Um, I don't know whether the government can survive a hollowing out um, over eight years uh, that, that we've seen over the past three. So I, I think that it is possible to bounce back. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right to say obituaries about the U.S. are usually 
premature. Um, but I think eight years of Trump is an extremely different prospect than four years. Four years, I still think, can be considered at some level an aberration. Eight years, uh, you know, as they say in the tech business, you know, that's a feature, not a bug. Uh, and so I do, I do worry greatly about that. And finally, just on the tech business and pulling together this theme of uh, who, who runs the United States at the moment, uh, big tech has really owned the lockdown. Is it going to get bigger? I think tech's a big winner out of the lockdown and out of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, for, for small reasons, uh, not small, but, but, but for the, you know, proximate cause that they're going to supply a lot of the software, I think that will allow uh, countries to test and trace and, uh, and isolate populations. So I think they're a, an inevitable winner um, you know, in, in the pandemic itself. In terms of the larger political discourse, I, I guess I would say I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I, you've seen in the last few weeks, uh, I, indeed over the last few months, you've seen companies like Facebook really become branded as unhelpful players. And I think Mark Zuckerberg's refusal to take a position on the immense power that Facebook has in setting the political discourse uh, in the United States, not to mention being a conduit for efforts to to destabilize the electoral system. Um, I think that's really hurt Facebook a great deal. And, and, and a growing number of people I know have, um, have closed down their accounts and don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, so I think that, you know, as a practical matter, they benefited from the pandemic. Uh, in terms of their long-term role in political discourse, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. And I'm not sure whether these companies are going to end up looking, you know, more like Rupert Murdoch's Fox and less like the exciting companies we thought of 10, 15 years ago. Well, absolutely fine and appropriate to end on a note of uncertainty. Mark, thank you very much for those thoughts and for joining us. Pleasure, Bronwyn. Good to be with you.